You're listening to a message from Impact Student Ministry, a middle and high school-oriented production of The Summit Church. So we have a family pet. Her name is Bodie, and she is a charcoal lab. We have a picture of her. Is that popping up? Yeah, there she is. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's kind of an up-close-and-personal picture, but that is pretty much her personality. She is honestly, I feel like, one of the most loving animals. She is so kind and tender-hearted. I really don't even think she would hurt a flea that is on her own back. Um, But that's just her personality. She's so sweet. She's not much of a guard dog, to be honest, because unfortunately, if someone comes onto our property, now she's going to bark, so she's more like a doorbell, I guess is a better phrase for her, um, because it's more about just her being so excited that there's someone new on our, our property for her to just pour out her gracious love to. But I can tell you that there is no one that she loves more than my husband, Chad. Chad just has kind of become her master. It's like her God. And if Chad is in the house, you can bet that whatever room he is in, then Bodie is in that room too. We should have called her Shadow, honestly, especially because of her color. But if, if Chad is not home, then Bodie is typically found in one of those windows in our den because she knows that he usually pulls in behind our house. And, and you can always tell when he does because then she starts just pacing and running and she runs to the back door. And when she hears the garage door open, then heaven forbid if you get to start to greet Chad before she can, because that would be bad for us. So that's what kind of caused a bit of a red flag for us. A couple months ago, Chad and I left Bodie in the house. Typically she'll stay outside, but it was kind of a rainy day. We left her inside and when we came home, she was not at the door like she typically was. And we thought, well, that's kind of strange. And so we we venture on into the house and then it starts to become clear as to why she did not greet us because we found some evidence on the den floor. And I don't know how she managed this, y'all, because she's a dog and she doesn't have fingers or thumbs, but somehow she managed to open some Reese's peanut butter cups and she ate the candy and left the wrappers. So we thought, oh, okay, she's gotten into something. And sure enough, we look and she's kind of poking her head out from the hallway and looking at us into the den. And she knows that she is in trouble. So Chad's standing there and and he starts to call her. He says, Bodie, come, did you do this? And she slinks around the doorway and her ears are kind of pulled down and her tail's stuck between her leg. and, And she's doing this really weird blinking Like she doesn't want to make eye contact. And y'all, I just start laughing. I couldn't help it, the poor thing. I mean, she's just covered in regret and in shame, but yet I just couldn't help but laugh. Um, In fact, I had to take a picture of this scene because I thought it was just so funny. So you can kind of see like here's, it's not a great picture, so I'm sorry, but here's kind of the evidence of the wrappers on the floor. It wasn't a big mess, but it was enough to cover her in shame. And you can see Chad kind of standing here and poor Bodie, like she won't even come closer. You know that she's battling that because there's this big piece of her that is just dying to just love on Chad and welcome him home. And yet she is just so regret-filled and just feeling terrible that she disappointed him and she's just staying back. And as much as Chad and I were laughing about the situation, I thought back on it a little bit later and I thought, you know, I can really relate to Bodie. I mean, how often have I felt that way even personally when, when I have made mistakes or when I've had a big failure in my life that 
it makes me want to kind of hide myself. That shame wants me to, to not want to make eye contact with someone that I feel like that I have let down or have disappointed. And I have a feeling I'm probably not the only one that has felt that way because we all make mistakes. We all have those failures in our lives, those things that we do that we wish we could rewind and change. Maybe, maybe for some of you, maybe there was someone at your school that was getting picked on. And you knew that you should step in and stand up for that person, but yet you find yourself kind of laughing along with the crowd. Or maybe you stay up late and you choose to play video games or chat with your friends instead of studying for a test and then you bomb it. Or maybe you get caught up in some gossip and you start trashing, trash talking somebody behind their back, even though you know that's not who you want to be. And later, that shame kind of creeps in on us and can make us feel like we just don't want to face some of those people that we feel like we have disappointed. Because it's also easy for us to then take it to the next level. We think, okay, if we disappointed someone, then that probably means that they don't love us or like us anymore. Or, or maybe at least they don't like us or love us as much as they did yesterday. And then it's also human nature to take it one step further than that and project that same thought on our relationship with Jesus. Because we know that God is all-knowing and he's everywhere all the time, so he knows our failures, he knows our mistakes, even those ones that we try to keep to ourselves. And so it's easy for us sometimes to think, wow, surely he doesn't love me. Maybe everybody else, but not, not me, not because of my mistakes and my failures. And I can surely tell you guys, this, this isn't just a middle school thing. This is a human thing. This is an everybody thing. Adults wrestle with this all the time, too. But fortunately, throughout Scripture, so many different times and examples and ways that God tries to make it extremely clear that that is not the case, that our failures do not separate us from the love of Jesus. And while there are so many of those that I can pull out for tonight, I want to take us to one particular guy named Peter. Peter was one of the 12 disciples, the, one of the 12 guys that, that spent a great deal of time with Jesus during his ministry here on earth. And I love to study Peter. He's one of my favorites. And can I just be honest? It's because he was such a screw up. I mean, honestly, so many times over and over and over again, he was incredibly impulsive. And so he was constantly blurting out things that he wasn't supposed to be talking about, or he was doing things very quickly that he shouldn't have been doing. And so poor Jesus, he's constantly having to say, Peter, that's not what we're talking about right now. Or Peter, stop doing that. He was constantly having to redirect Peter. And yet he was still one of his disciples. Jesus still chose him. But the specific failure, or what I feel like, was one of Peter's most epic fails, is one that I want to hone in a little bit tonight. It happened close to the end of Jesus's ministry and time here on earth. In fact, Jesus knew that it was coming time for him that he was going to be going to the cross. And so he gathers all of his disciples together and he's using this as a time to connect with them. And he's trying to prepare their hearts and their minds for what was about to happen. And at one point, Jesus looks at his friends and he says, I am about to leave you. 
I'm about to leave, and where I go, you cannot follow. And Peter, being the incredibly impulsive guy that he was, he, he ventures to, to argue with Jesus. And he says, but no, wait a minute. I, tell me where you're going, because I want to go with you. I am ready to die for you. And again, Jesus, I think lovingly, looks at Peter and says, no, Peter, you cannot come with me. And in fact, before the rooster crows twice, you are going to deny me three times. You know, here's Peter. He's trying to say that he would die for Jesus. And Jesus is trying to say, hey, look, you know, I appreciate your passion. I appreciate your zeal. That's one of the reasons I chose you as one of my disciples. But I'm trying to bring you back down to reality and let you know that you are actually about to turn your back on me three times. A little bit later, Jesus is arrested and he's taken to trial. And in several of the, the stories of this and the gospels that capture this for us as, as the eyewitnesses, then we know that meanwhile, Peter is outside of the trial and, and he's meandering around, kind of waiting to hear what is happening inside with Jesus. And he's standing there with the crowd. And sure enough, three different times, three different people approach him. And in front of the, the others would say, hey, wait a minute, aren't you with Jesus? Hey, I think I recognize you. Aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you with that guy, the Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth? And sure enough, all three times, Peter says, no, 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 not me. <laughs> not me. I don't, even, I don't even know that guy, which is really pretty absurd because at this point, everybody at least knows who he is, even if they weren't his followers. And I like the way that Mark explains what happens next. Mark, one of the eyewitnesses, he records this for us. He says, then Peter remembered. He remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. So it's like that memory just came crashing down on Peter and he broke down and wept. Peter, a grown man, broke down and wept. Earlier, he was afraid of what people would think about him, and now his, he is so overcome, so distraught with grief that he breaks down and weeps. And guys, I, I look through scripture, so I'm not 100% positive, but I tried to see if there was anywhere else in recorded scripture that, Jesus, that Peter actually weeps. And this is the only place that I could find it. And I find it remarkable that it wasn't because of what was happening with Jesus inside the trial. He breaks down and weeps because of shame, because of his epic failure, because he knew that he had just disowned. He knew that he had just turned his back on the one person that he thought he would never, never be disloyal to. And that's exactly what happened. We know that a few hours later that Jesus is then taken to the cross and is crucified and dies and is buried. And we know that on the third day, he breathed again and he was resurrected. A few days later, we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but now we have Peter back on the scene. And it's recorded that he was on a boat 
he had gone fishing with some of the other disciples. And one of the disciples all of a sudden realized that there was someone on the beach. And this man on the beach starts to have this interaction and this exchange with the guys on the boat. And one of the disciples realizes that it was Jesus. And John, one of the disciples, was on the boat, and this is what he recorded for us. John shares with us that as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, him being the disciple that realized it, it is the Lord, he jumped into the water. Now, this is one of those comments. He jumped into the water that we could just kind of keep on reading by because we think the, the best is about to come. But I argue that this is so incredibly significant because where did we last see Peter? Just a few days before this, he was broken and weeping in shame. And so you would think, I would think, that as soon as suddenly he realizes that he's about to have a face-to-face -face with Jesus, the man that he disowned, I would expect him to act a whole lot more like Bodhi, right? I would expect him to, to ball up in the bottom of that boat in shame and think, I just don't think I could face Jesus. So it leaves me begging the question, what happened? Why? Why? What, what led this man, what changed him from weeping one day and just a few days later to leaping from a boat? He went from weeping to leaping. Something happened. And what, was it something that Peter did? No, Peter didn't do, Peter didn't do anything. But something significant happened. And the answer that changed Peter, this dynamic, radical transformation from someone who was weeping to leaping was Easter. Easter changed everything for Peter, and he knew it instantly. He immediately understood the significance of Easter for him. That explains the radical transformation because he immediately knew that, yes, I failed. Yes, a few days ago, I was weeping and broken and shame, and yet now there is my risen Lord, and that he immediately realized and recognized that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, and he saw it with his own eyes, and he knew that Easter changed everything. He knew that his failure, his mistakes, all of them went to the cross with Jesus. Easter changed everything and radically changed Peter. He wasn't the only one that was incredibly changed by this as he recognized and realized the significance of what has just happened. That his failures do not separate him from the love of Jesus. A few years later, a while later, another significant man comes onto the scene. His name was Paul. He was previously known as Saul. You may have heard of him. Uh, he used to persecute the Christians, and yet he experienced his own radical transformation and conversion and then became one of the most influential men in the early church and the foundation of the early church. In fact, he wrote most of the New Testament. And so there are some words that were recorded that he personally recorded it's now known as the book of Romans, but at the time, he was just simply writing a letter to the early Christians in Rome at this time. And here are the words that he recorded for them that I believe are so significant for us 
He said, I am convinced. I love those first three words. I am convinced. I love the clarity and the certainty, the fortitude in those three first words that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He was convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. Nothing. And we highlighted here the words, anything else in all creation. Guys, that includes you. That includes me. That includes your failures, your mistakes, my failures, and my mistakes cannot separate us from the love of Jesus. And that is so hard for us to get our minds around. It's hard for us to even grasp a love like that that's so perfect, that is so complete and so whole. And I honestly, I I believe that God designed us that way on purpose. I believe that he limited our capacity because if we truly could understand the love of Jesus, it would make it a whole lot smaller, right? But it's that big. And it's almost silly for us to think that all of a sudden, this love, this power that that has existed for all time, For eternity, it's almost silly and and almost really even arrogant for us to think that we could suddenly step onto the pages of history and make a few mistakes and think that we could have the power to change it or affect it. It's almost arrogant of us to even think that, that we could have any kind of power to change or affect the love of Jesus. You see, there is absolutely nothing that we can do that will make Jesus love us less. There is nothing we can do that could make him love us less. Nothing. And again, I know it is so hard for us to get our minds around this, but Easter means this. Easter means that Our past, our present, our future failures do not make Jesus love us any less. Easter means that our gossiping, our bad attitudes, our poor grades, our mistakes, our our disrespect to teachers or parents or any of those, they do not separate us from the love of Jesus. Easter means that we do not have to be broken and weeping in our shame. Easter means that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. We can do nothing that can make him love us less. All we have to do is to just receive that. That's our piece of it, is to just simply receive it. And we don't have to completely understand it. And in fact, we can put all of our confusion and our doubts and our questions aside and still just take take a step toward Jesus and just say, you know, I want that. I want what changed Peter. I want some of that. I want what, what changed him from being weeping to leaping out of a boat because he knew in full confidence the love and the hope and the grace and the freedom and the power that was waiting for him because of Easter. I want some of that. 
And maybe for some of you guys tonight, you, maybe you just came because, hey, there's a cute girl here or a cute guy, and you're thinking, I, I heard there was some free food and come hang out with some friends, and that is awesome. Come for those reasons, that's fine. That's why I went to youth group when I was your age. There's a really cute guy named Michael. Like, hey. But somewhere along that way, more happened. And I began to understand that, okay, that, that, that love, that Easter is personal. Easter didn't just happen some 2,000 years ago. Easter is right now, and it is personal, and it is for me, and it is for you, and all we have to do is choose to receive it. We don't have to clean up our act first. Easter cleans up our act, because when we receive the love of Jesus, that's when he allows that to start softening our heart, and it changes us from the inside out. It starts affecting everything. It changes our, pers- our perspectives, which then in tune will change our interactions and our choices and our actions and our thoughts and our words. You, know, you think about it this way, okay, I am receiving this love. I am choosing to take Easter personally. And you know that girl in my class that just gets on my nerves? She's so annoying. Like if I could be honest, I really just don't even like her. Or that guy that's on my team that we just don't seem to get along. We just seem to rub each other the wrong way all the time. There's always tension. When Jesus starts to work from the inside out, then we start to realize, oh, wait a minute. That great love, Easter, was for that annoying girl too. That that great love that Easter Jesus went to the cross for that jerk that's on my team, too. And you know, when we start to change that perspective or when Jesus changes our perspective, it's just a little bit easier for us to show some grace and kindness to those people that we may not otherwise be able to. Easter changes everything. And all we have to do is to receive it and recognize that His love is bigger than our failures. That there's nothing we could do to make him love us less. All we have to do is receive it, and it really is that simple. It's not easy all the time, for sure, but it truly is that simple. Let's ask him to help us with it. Father God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you so much just for the for your, your scriptures, for your word, for, for just empowering people to, to sit down and pen all of these stories that are still so relevant for us today that we can use to understand exactly what your grace and your love and what Easter means for each and every one of us. God, help us to just understand and, and accept it and receive it because we are so limited in our capacity. We are so limited in our understanding of what true and unconditional love looks like. It's hard for us to imagine that you, that you truly have that for us. So help us open our hearts, open our minds to receive that and just allow you to transform us from the inside out and to just take Easter personally. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the cross. It's in your perfect son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you would like to get more information on Impact Student Ministry or The Summit Church, visit us online at thesummitchurch.net.